You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, In Defense of Being Male and Female, recorded on November the 20th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. The uh, Bible uh, has Paul telling Timothy, Uh, to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And as you've figured out by now, um, we are reading the entire chapter from which the sentence or two, the sermon, uh, is going to be taken. So you get context. And with chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, there's no question that some of you are probably saying, would you hurry up, Mike? Um, Because there's either exciting or scary things ahead. You've got words like submission and... Phrases like the women must remain quiet and uh, hurry up and preach on those. We want to know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're going to fix it or, or what? I don't know. And, and it's, that's really crazy stuff too. Women should remain quiet. As, uh, one of the, the, the rules I've learned in life is never tell a woman to be quiet. There's not... <laughs> that's right up there when saying, oh, are you pregnant? <laughs> Nothing but trouble comes to a man when he tells a woman to be quiet. So what are we going to do with Timothy? And so to which I'd only say, um, let's be patient and wait to see what God will reveal to us. We've got to remember the beautiful truth that uh, Jesus said to the two fellows on the road to Emmaus after he rose from the dead and he visited with them. Um, the Bible says he opened their eyes to understand the scripture. And uh, so that's what we're looking for as we go through Timothy, is that God will open your eyes and mine. So today, our text is really, it's really just 2.8. But I want to read 2.8 to 10 because there's a very real contrast here. This sermon also, I'll give you a warning, is going to be very short. But it, it begins with a long introduction that will serve for all the other sermons on 1 Timothy 2. So let's read 8 to 10, or I'll read it, and you can follow along. Hopefully you have a Bible app on your phone. That's the easiest way to get the Bible, is have the ESV app on your phone. But if you're still using a paper Bible, uh, we're starting in 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 10. Ready? And a paper Bible is good. That wasn't to be condescending at all. But it is so awesome that you can put the phone in your pocket and always have the Bible with you. Just bam, there it is. Um, I desire then, verse 8, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So if you see from verse 9 all the way to the end of the chapter, addresses women. Uh, perhaps... This has become what could probably be argued as the most controversial or one of the most controversial chapters uh, in the Bible for that reason. Because in our modern culture, to draw distinctions between men and women uh, is equal to a word that is a modern word invented to stop you from doing it, and that's called sexism. And, 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 and so for our culture to draw attention to the differences between men and women is mostly problematic. It's mostly problematic unless, this is uh, my own observation, unless the woman beats out the men in something. You know, Marsha always beat Greg. Um, If you don't know what I mean, that's too bad. In 1979, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, my formative years. And in 1979, I was living in Florida often, every summer definitely, and sometimes during the year, and that year I was. In 1979, something new happened. A hurricane was coming towards Florida. Um, that's not the new part, by the way. The people who, who are not afraid of hurricanes the most are the people who live in Florida. They've, they survive. They go, oh, here comes another. No big deal. But this one was different than other hurricanes. Why? Because it was called Hurricane Bob. And in 1979, Hurricane Bob was the first Hurricane in American history with a male name. (laughs) Really, you might say, really? Up till then, all hurricanes were named with a female name only. Now, here's Bob. Bob goes first. I don't know why Bob. Bob is such a friendly name. You'd think, you'd uh, pick someone who has a little, like like he might punch you, like Hurricane Rex. (laughs) Or Victor, you know. 
Why in 79 did that happen? Well, really, since the 1960s, um, there has been a very deliberate and very successful effort to change the English language. And, and, and this, this, this effort has been summarized by several phrases. Uh, feminist language reform. Feminist language planning. And it's, and it's not fake. It's a real thing. Right? It's a real thing. One feminist writing in her dissertation said patriarchy. Patriarchy is from father and king. Father rules. That's what that means. Patriarchy. Matriarchy means mother rules. So patriarchy is seen as a bad thing in feminist ideology. And feminist ideology rules the day. That's, it's not even a subcategory of the culture. It is the ruling dominant philosophy. You think philosophy doesn't matter? It certainly does. Because we all live in whatever the university professors say is true. And you might say, well, I don't even go to university. I don't care what they say. You don't have to care. Because they train all the other teachers. They train the politicians. They train the lawyers. They train the professionals. And they, their philosophy rules the day. And you live in a feminist world. So patriarchy is always a bad word. In that sense, not and uh, to quote, it includes the words that are used in our daily lives to place women in a subordinate and oppressed state, says D. Ansberg, someone you've never heard of. And, and that sums it up well. The reason language had to be changed in the 60s is because apparently men invented the language, which in itself is an assumption that's interesting how they have the power to invent the language. But in any case, men invented the language and, and they use it to subordinate and oppress women. And in my lifetime, I have seen this change. I lived in the great generation of change here, being a child born in the 60s. And, and, and so now we used to have mailmen. There's no mailmen anymore. And there's no male women because a male woman would be to show that her sex. And apparently you're not supposed to know that. Until she shows up. And then even then you don't know now. Um, it's, a, it's a letter carrier. Right? That we used to have chairman of the board. It was, well, what if a woman has it? Well, let's call her chairwoman. No, you can't do that. It has to be chairperson. Okay. We used to get in planes that had stewardesses. There are no stewardesses anymore. There's only flight attendants. There used to be waitresses and waiters. Those are gone. Replaced with, with things like servers. Right? There used to be actresses and actors. That's gone. If you watch the Academy Award, you'll see they don't call anyone an actress. They're, because I, I guess, I don't know why, I guess because an actor would be male and an actress would be a subset of that. And that's subordinate language. You're putting the woman under the male. So, you know, you're just constantly reminding us that De Niro is cooler than Meryl Streep, apparently. I, so, what is it, the best actor, female actor in a leading role. It's not near as elegant as best actress, which I think is kind of efficient. The masculine pronoun, you've all seen that disappear, right? He is gone. If you don't know who we're referring to, when I learned in grammar, Ms. Elsner taught me that if you do not, if you don't know who it is, you use he. Um, nowadays, they're teaching in grammar not only do you not use he, you can use she if you alternate, but if you alternate, just trust me, you'd better just use she. And, and if you're in any kind of academic setting, you know what I'm saying is true. But better still to, to use they, because no one knows who they are. <laughs> so they. Um, and, and now Miss Elsner would have marked this wrong every time. You have nouns and pronouns and verbs, and they don't agree in number. And uh, if you say, well, I don't remember what that is. I know, sixth grade grammar is a long time ago. But that's okay. Now, you even have colleges now that are putting out policies that when people come into a classroom as a freshman, they, freshman? Fresh person. Uh, do they still say, they still say freshman. Kid couldn't find a new word for that one. As a frosh, they, they go in there, and they, and they have to, um, they, they get to choose their own pronoun. I like my pronoun to be zipperhead. <laughs> you can choose whatever you want. Man and wife, oh, that's bad. Man and wife. Mankind, it's gone. 
It's humanity, humankind. You see, it's man-made language designed to keep a sister down. The word woman itself has gone, undergone a spelling change. When I was, uh, and this is back in 1983, as a freshman in college at Penn State, I was taught that, it, it, and I never knew any of this stuff. I always wet behind the ears when it comes to any kind of philosophy. My philosophy was hedonism. And then a couple years after high school, I got saved and decided, well, I guess you better go make something of your life. So I went to college and they taught me all this cool stuff. And one thing they taught me is the word woman is problematic because it, it, you take the word man and then you produce a second word that has man in it, obviously it's language that subordinates her. So you can still say woman, but you have to spell it differently. W-O-M-Y-N. Sometimes plural W-I-M-I-N. Now I know some of you are saying, this is insane. Um, you know all that debt you're, 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 you're getting into, some of you who are from my generation, to send your kids to college? You're paying people to teach your sons and daughters this. No question about it. Because women is subordinate. It's, it's putting her under us. I had a friend in college at Altoona campus, and two of us thought that's not going far enough because it still sounds like men. So we came up with a brand new word for females, frunkle. We thought it doesn't sound anything like man. And we thought it was cute, and none of the feminists around us did. So that's the way that goes. So into this world, we're making distinctions between male and female is seen as negative. They, they call you sexist, right? If you notice that a man and a woman aren't the same. Into this world, enter 1 Timothy chapter 2. Enter you as Christians who are given the Bible. What are you going to do with it? If you swallow what Paul says, you are going to become a space alien. Even worse, a hater. What are we to do? Well, as a rule, as a rule, when the Bible differs from the morals of modern culture, in any age, there's always modern culture. Modern culture must be corrected by the Bible. Don't go the other way. The plain meaning of the Bible should never be set aside to accommodate current thought. Now, the Bible needs to be carefully examined and interpreted correctly, but you do not set aside the plain meaning of the text because current thought would tell you that it's wrong. Current thought always is at odds with the Bible if the Bible is true. I should say since the Bible is true. It's always at odds in every age and in different ways. C.S. Lewis, in The Four Loves, makes this uh, statement, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And that's something easy to remember. All that's not eternal is eternally out of date. Because whatever the modern culture says is what we all ought to do, well, that generation dies off. Cultures change, right? From age to age, cultures change. But guess what doesn't change? The word of God. It's eternal. So if you really want to be up to date, set aside what the culture tells you and stick with what the Bible tells you. You will always be up to date with God. And in fact, the Bible speaks a great deal about man and woman. And it's good. It is good. And and if I can call the women uh, who love Jesus uh, to service here, to take your stand, if you women do not project the beauty that is what God made woman to be. God's women, in fact. No one will. The world isn't going to do it. So this is your opportunity. It's nothing to run from. You shouldn't be saying, how can I be as much like the world as possible and still Christian? Go completely the other way. Say, how can I be as much like Jesus as possible and shine? Because I guarantee you, the way the world runs things is leaving women emptier. More abused, more abandoned. The language God uses for male and female in the very first, first book of the Bible. Ready for some Hebrew? Say, yes, give me some Hebrew. Okay. Man is ish, like fish without an F. Ish. You know what woman is? Isha. Isha. 
It's definitely in feminist nomenclature, patriarchal language. Adam's using it to keep a sister down. (laughs) Before there was sin, before there was a fall, Adam was alone and God, he, he made Adam out of dirt. He started with some better material for the woman. He pulled the rib out of the man. He made Eve and he woke him up and says, this one's for you. And she, he said, yes, finally, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, for she was taken from Ish. That's where the word first shows up. And instead of being an act of oppression, it shows both connectedness and distinction. And that's good. It shows you're both human. You're made from the same. This is when marriage was instituted. Why? There is no such thing as gay marriage, as you've heard me say before. It doesn't exist because God never joins it, even if people do. Because right the very next sentence, here is what the Bible says. After Adam says this, the next sentence, Moses writes, For this cause an ish shall leave father and mother and be joined to Isha, and the two shall become one. There's a beauty there that the world wants to gut and throw away as sinful. And we say, no, that's not sinful. That's good. That's good. Men aren't women, but men in some way are very much like women. They're Ish and Isha. They're not Ish and Frunkles. No, they're the same, but they're distinct. She's bone of my bones, but she sure ain't me. Um, I, I told you throughout the time we're talking about male and female. And, and as a good warning, holidays are coming. So holiday sermons will interrupt what these texts. It's okay. We'll come back to them. We're not going to leave anything behind. I'm not in a hurry. Don't be yourself. But I said you're free to write questions on your Connect cards and get them to me. And I will answer them from the stage if appropriate, if I can. And so here's one. First week Someone said, and I think it's a good question, you, you say that it, the Bible says male and female God created, but what about hermaphrodites? Okay, that's not a bad question, right? Hermaphrodite, what is that? First, it's, it's really a, a, a misnomer to, to, to call a human a hermaphrodite, because hermaphrodite is a biological reference to a, a creature that creates its own young, like an earthworm. It's male and female, and needs, doesn't need the other to procreate. There's no such thing as a human who can do that. But we call them hermaphrodites. Hermaphrodite is not a third sex. It's less than 0.1% of the population has any bit of hermaphroditism, if you could call it that, in them. And it is a chromosomal disorder. Like any other chromosomal disorder. Something's gone wrong. right? Just like Down syndrome, which affects a child physically and mentally and... Um, a chromosomal disorder can cause you to have uh, partially developed organs of both sexes. But to be a male or a female is all about the letter Y. And I learned this in genetics, and as far as I know, it's still true. It's all about the letter Y. Right? You have 23 matched pairs of chromosomes. I'm not going to go all into science, but just to answer the question thoroughly. And um, everyone has 23 matched pairs in every cell. And, 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 and if everything is fine, that's fine. But if something goes wrong, you have a chromosomal disorder. If one of those, if they're both X, you're a woman. You're a female. If one has a Y, if you have a Y in there, you just became a male. That's how it works. But if you have a couple extra X's or a couple extra Y's thrown in, you may come out with various things in your sex organs that are deformed. It has nothing to do with the third sex. It's just an abnormality. So when we look at male and female, to end that close parenthesis, I was answering a question, the Bible is not just another opinion to be considered in a world of opinions. It's not another choice. It's not another, another set of ideas on womanhood and manhood that's on the banquet table of life. The Bible is the owner's manual written by the manufacturer for you. God who made us, who loves us, Gave us his manual. Says, this is what you're going to need. Especially now that you've fallen into sin. (laughs) You'll need this to get to heaven. And to run life the way you should run it. 
Owner's manual. The manufacturers know. I have in my barn two kinds of fuel containers. One holds diesel fuel, one holds gasoline. And, and though both are from the same kind of oil coming out of the ground originally, I have two kinds of combustion engines parked outside of that barn. One is my little lawn tractor that I cut the grass with. The other is my car. The engines are very much the same, but their distinctions make a huge difference. And if you don't believe it, put the diesel fuel in the car. It'll be tough to start. It'll run too low temp. (laughs) Put the gasoline in the tractor and it'll catch on fire or something bad. You see, the engines are very similar, but you're foolish if you ignore the differences. It's the same with male and female. Very similar, but you're a fool if you ignore the differences. So you're saying their entire society is foolish? Our entire society is insane, is what I'm saying. And I don't say that to criticize them. I say it because if you come to Christ, he's opened your mind to the truth so that you can share it with them, whether they like it or not. Don't be a jerk. But you're trying to rescue them from this insanity. You see, in our society, you're not supposed to notice the differences between male and female. So let me say some things that I know in our society would cause me a great deal of resistance. Men are generally physically stronger than women and more willing to kill people and break things than women. You're not supposed to say that. A woman could be in the infantry just like a man. She should be on the front line just like a man. She could be. She could be. But we're fools if we don't notice that men will organize themselves for battle. And if you won't give them a battle, they'll put on pads and start running into each other as hard as they can. (laughs) You're not supposed to notice that. There's some women who play football. And yet, you know, we're not supposed to notice. Don't make war toys. If you stop making war toys, give your daughter a Barbie. You'll see. Okay. Or your son a Barbie. Give your son Barbies. They will pull their heads off and take their bodies. Well, first they'll take their clothes off because boys are boys. And that's, I'm not being crude. Boys are boys. They, they're curious. They want to see. Then they pull their heads off because it makes sisters scream and that's kind of fun. Then they shake the Barbie at each other and go, pew, pew, pew. Women could do that, but it's very rare. But you're not supposed to notice these things. Women, this is, this is where I get literally hung on the gallows of society. Women are generally better suited to nurture the youngest humans. If there's a feminist, will hang me for this one. Women are generally, I'm not saying this is, this is a simple observation. They're generally better suited physically and emotionally. I am not, there's always outliers. There's always the woman says, not me, I hate kids. Okay, good for you. And the guy says, I, I want to watch a baby. But in general, you're not supposed to notice the first home of every human is actually the stomach of a woman with a body that has been designed, not by us, to feed the child. We diminish that role, not realizing that the reproduction of ourselves is the most important physical work done on the planet. And we say, oh, you're stuck with a child. We need to free you by abortion. It's insane. You're not even supposed to notice that a woman's breasts are the first food, naturally. In fact, in the 60s, they came up with all these books. That's where formula became big. Now, I realize that sometimes you can't breastfeed and you need formula or whatever. But formula became big because we had to liberate women from their own chests. We had to say, science can come up with a better mix than your body will. And we can liberate you from this bondage. Give them formula. And, And it never worked out that way. Because not only does the baby get the nourishment and the immunodeficiency stuff and all that stuff, but something else magical is happening 
that you're blind as a human if you don't see it. There, there is a love of a mother as she, nur- she holds a baby to her chest. She's feeling emotions a man will never feel. Sorry, men. You just don't. I don't even know what they are, but I see it. And you're not allowed to say that. Not I'll say mom and dad's love are different because dad and dad need to adopt. Mom and mom need to adopt. This is the first, last week was my birthday. First birthday, and I, and I wouldn't bring it up because I don't want to bring up my birthdays, but in this case, this is the first birthday I had where my mother did not call. And if she doesn't get me on the phone, she leaves the message on the digital where she tries to sing me happy birthday the way Marilyn Monroe, you know, happy birthday baby. First, my mom couldn't sing. Literally, she couldn't sing with a gun to her head. It was awful. But I tell you, a son knows there's something different about having a mommy than a daddy. I know it. I love my dad, but there's something about a mom. It ain't, it's not the same love. And uh, sure, as you'd guess, I'd pay to have her put that caterwauling back on my phone this year. You're not supposed to notice that if you have a group of 11-year-old boys and girls and some mom comes in with her six-month-old baby that they've never seen, that most, if not all the boys, really don't care. But a majority, most likely, sometimes all of the girls, say, let's see the baby. Well, they've been socialized like that. I don't think so. They haven't had time. They're just like that. Don't say that, you sexist. Now we're back. Men are not women. Women are not men. Fallen nature brings brokenness of all kinds. Same-sex urges, gender confusion or gender dysphoria. These are problems that need to be overcome or endured. They don't make you less than human if you struggle with them. You're still just as precious. But we live in a crazy world that seeks to normalize and even celebrate deviancies. Deviations from the norm are celebrated. Unless it's pedophilia. No one says born that way about them. We know that's a deviation. We know they shouldn't do that. But they're scum of the earth and then all those other deviations we should celebrate. At least for now. Mark my words. There will be people in churches telling you pedophilia in some situations are okay. Give it 10 years because the world is going to do it. And we demonize what the word of God says as hate speech. Let me say as we walk through these issues of sex, male and female, issues of gender, no matter where you are, even if you're struggling with some of these things personally, the best news in the Bible about your humanity is that everybody matters. People matter. You matter. You're important to God. So important that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish. No matter how broken I or you are or how hurt we are by this world, and as we explore the Bible on this, I'm inviting, I know it's going to challenge some of your thinking. Some of you are going to be like, yeah. I would tell you, put your triumphalism away. Stay humble and listen because you may not know as much of what God says as you think. Others are saying, oh, please don't say what I don't want to hear. To everyone, I'd say, don't run, think. Let God speak to you. Let God illumine your minds. I'll preach the sermon, but it's the word of God we're preaching Search the word. Pray. Ask God in prayer. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. That's a promise. And a promise is only as good as the trust you put in it. Do you trust God when he says, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good? Do you trust him that that's you? If you actually think about what the word says about male and female, you will discover things you do not know. Because that's what discover means. You don't know it now. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 16, 20. All right, that's our very long introduction to everything that's going to come out of 1 Timothy 2 and 3 on gender. 
Now a very short sermon on verse 8. And I will title it. You get the title of this short sermon. Different title. Men and a proper attitude for worship. Men and a proper attitude for worship is the title. Verse 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray. The men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Several elements there. Prayer, holy hands, anger and quarreling. Let's take them all in order. Prayer. Worship services should be prayer throughout. The name of the church, which I, I know some of you who've been around a while are tired of me saying it, but I never want us to forget. The word church, ecclesia, means the gathering. God wants us to get together in big rooms, in little rooms, in chat rooms. I don't care. He wants us together. And when we come together to worship his name, he promises to be there with us in a special way that he's not when we're alone. Alone is good, but gathering is good. It's our name, church, gathering. It's what we do. This is why we fight against the idea, I don't need to get to know all those people. I'll just watch my favorite preacher on the television. Well, you can get some good teaching that way. You can get some weird teaching, but you can get some good teaching too. But you're not getting gathering. So when we worship, really everything we do, just about, with a couple of exceptions, like announcements, should have a a relationship to prayer. First, there's praying. (laughs) Well, that's prayer. Then there's singing. You're talking to, for, or about God. It's praising him. It's, It's part of the prayer experience. It's your half. There's reading of the word. That's hearing from him. That's the other half. There's hearing the sermon, the way the the Bible put forth that the apostles' teachings was to be disseminated by something in Ephesians called teachers and pastors. The Bible says he gives some as teachers and pastors to equip the saints. So this, this thing we're doing is not a social convention. It is the mandated way God wants his gathered people to learn the apostles' teaching. And so within, somehow, within the human taking the word in himself, putting it back out with explanation, God will speak to you. Well, that's the hearing half of prayer, isn't it? And then there's responding. First, by the giving of your first fruits. Giving of your offering is a worship act. So you're, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a conversation piece that's very physical. So if you are not giving from your fruits, you're, you're not worshiping God correctly. You're just not. You're insufficient in that area. But then you also respond after the message. We stand up and sing some more. Assuming, you know, when you first came in, your heart was everywhere. You know, you come in to sing, like, this is a prayer. I don't know if I'm ready for this. I've been thinking about everything, thinking about everything. I don't know if I like the song. I don't know if I like the style. You're, it takes a while to, it, it, to settle your mind. You won't settle it at all if you don't try. But then after the sermon, hopefully you focus more on God and you can respond back with singing. The whole service is to be a prayer service. What about this lifting holy hands business? This is, should you walk into a church and see a bunch of men going, Our Father art in heaven? <laughs> I'm praying, our hands are up. Well, Paul, Paul often teaches this very way. He gives you the principle that matters, and he gives you how to apply it. And that's where your cultural restrictions do come in and do matter. I don't know how they prayed then. And lifting of the hands is probably part of it. But he's not using the physical lifting of the hands as the issue. How do I know that? Because he puts the word holy in front of it. There's nothing about your hands that's holier than your kneecaps. In fact, your hands are just kind of physical things. You could chop them off and still obey this. He doesn't write, and those with chopped off hands, lift up your stubs. Because it's not the appendage that matters. It's the holiness. So so if you were to go... Okay, in America, we pray efficiently because we're Americans, doggone it. That's the way we do it. And I don't mind being American. I like being American. You tell us you want something done, we'll figure out, we'll break down how to do it, train each other how to do it, and we'll do it as quick as, most efficient way possible. That's why for years, America's led the way in, in, in manufacturing and production. So when we pray, we all get in a circle and go, okay, it's prayer time. All right, prayer time. Assume prayer position. Everybody sits up in their seat. All right, what are your prayer requests? You, 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 you. Somebody write them down. And then you figure out who's going to pray for these. You know, religious guy, you pray. (laughs) 
Or maybe we, you pray that, you pray that, you pray that, you pray that. Who prays first? You do. You pray last and someone get in the middle. Okay, we got this thing. Boom, boom, boom. And people are praying. It's very efficient. Your mind is wandering all over the place and you're thinking, I'm not very spiritual. The rest of these people are hearing angels sing, but I can't even think because what were we praying again? But, but still, that's how we do it, right? Can I get an amen? amen? If you live in a different world, tell me. But if you go to India, get them Christians together, then let's pray. They turn their hands up like this. And they all just start going, baby. It's like you have moved back to some kind of, kind of Catholic uh, monastery. And all the monks are going at it at once. It's hard for me to pray like that because I'm not used to the whole one time. I can't think. We need to take prayer requests. <laughs> That's how they do it. It doesn't matter if you do it that way or that way. Right? It, it, what matters is that you're holy when you do it. You have to have holy hands. Well, what are holy hands? Well, I think the shortest answer is they're connected to a body of a man who's holy. <laughs> That's how you know if your heart is clean. And, and he, he says, not with arguing or quarreling in the heart. I think that represents a lot of things, but let's stick as close to that as we can. The church is not to be a place where the men are in their quiet, because as they're praying, they're not fighting. But in their hearts, they can be arguing, fighting, and quarreling because their attitude is one of demanding their own way, striving. Churches can be filled with men who are really in strife against everything, against other men in the church, against their wives, against the pastor, against whatever. Strife and anger between men is not holy before the Lord. Not, 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 in you, not when you're in your gathering. You're back to Cain and Abel, right? The two brothers it's not holy that Cain hated his brother and killed him. Well, it's not holy to come to the gathering with quarreling and anger in your heart as a man. So, you know, that can be really hard for you. If you're a young man, maybe you haven't been married yet or you're just married or you're just about to have kids. I want to warn you, one of the easiest ways to find out you're a sinner is as you, as one human, try to negotiate with another adult human to get small humans, and the more there are, the worse it gets, into the car, into church on time, and then obey this verse. <laughs> you're fighting all the way. Then <laughs> you come into church and go, I shouldn't even be here, I just screamed at my wife. <laughs> That's normal. Find a way to repent of it. Take her out. Honey, I'm sorry. Let's go to worship God. But also the, the power struggles that can happen in churches, the, the discontentment with whatever it is. Men, right now, as you sit in here and in our, all our campuses, is your heart clean and ready for worship? Did you even think about that this morning? If not, I'm going to invite all of us to, to begin to think about that. Did you confess your sins to God? Did you prepare yourself for worship? Now, by the way, at this point, someone might ask, wait a minute, Mike. Aren't these instructions applicable to women too? Yes. Then why does Paul single out the men? He does it very clearly. I want the men to pray and I want the women to do this. Answer, because this is not a call to pray in one's private prayer closet. This is a call to lead. Men, when you come into the service, you set the example. You are all in. You're not looking to your wife or to the women for leadership. Be a man. One of the most common complaints any Every pastor hears from Christian women is, but what if my man won't lead? I have nothing to submit to. You should see this clown. And often it's true. Especially in this society. This feminist society, which has created men who don't need to do anything. By the way, the, the shortest example or definition of manhood is takes responsibility for self and others. In our society, men don't have to do that at all. 
they get the physical thing they want for a woman rather easily, virtually or physically, anytime they want. They don't be responsible for her at all. Women are graduating from colleges more than men. They're getting better grades. Many of them are getting better entry-level jobs. Marrying guys who can't take care of them. At 35, because he's afraid of commitment, he's been sitting on his couch playing Xbox on every open hour in his underwear. We've created a culture of men who are sissies and don't lead. And women who, who, who are unsatisfied and many of them ticked at them. Churches often are the places that lack men the most. If a church is on the decline, the part that's missing is not the women. They're there trying to get this thing going. It's like the single mom who says, well, this dude left me. By the way, single moms are always my heroes. They're trying to get the church going. Men won't show up. Some call, well, we need more men's ministry to fix it. Look, I'm all for men's ministry. I'm all for pancake breakfast or whatever. But the reason why nobody's men's ministry is as robust as somebody wants is because people don't really want a men's ministry. They want the women's ministry with men in it. You see, the main reason women's ministries are, are, are almost always ten times more vibrant than men's ministries in church is because women don't need men to help them do it. In fact, I have my own theory that they're trying to get away from us at times. <laughs> like we need a women's Bible study. Why? I'll teach it. I think, Mike, there are things we can minister to each other well that you can't even touch. And there's a time when I know I'm all MC Hammer on that baby. Don't touch this. The men's ministry, you know, it's always, we got to do men's ministry. So, look, I'm for the men's retreat. Get the men away. Get them to pray. Get them to study the Bible and think about why they exist on the planet. And if you want, do anything you want for men's ministry. But if you think it's ever going to be what the women's ministry is, it won't because you're not women and you can't do it the same way. You're going to have your men's breakfast. 20 guys are going to show up. Give it a few weeks. There'll be four guys who are willing to get up at 6 in the morning. And that's a valuable four guys. I'm not taking away from that. I'm not taking anything away from that. My mind, men's ministry, you know what it is? It's called ministry. When you do a turkey dinner in a parking lot in Walmart, are there men? Are there men? There, when you go looking for elders, do they exist? When you need someone to teach, are there men? I I don't want to get to the point of bragging on us at all because I want us to just let God change us and never think we're satisfied. But I will say, I'm always impressed up till now (laughs) because the future is still tomorrow and we don't want to... How all campuses of harvest seem... To give places for men. I can tell you how many churches I've been in where you can't get a man to do anything. That's men's ministry. Minister, lead! Come into the church. You're the one lifting the holy hands. You're the one setting the example. Spiritual leadership does not mean you're smarter than the woman next to you. And if you're married, she may know the Bible better. She may be smarter than you. She may talk better than you. Leadership doesn't mean you're more talented or smarter. Leadership is about leading, about being committed. It means direction. Listen, when the family comes together, if it's a family situation, and I know not everyone is in a family situation, but as an example, the children know who's the spiritual leader. They know. They never even think the question. They just know. They know if their dad has anger and quarreling in his heart. They know. And the way they relate to God in the church, they're getting it right from him. Men, when women and children, and maybe your wife and children, your grandchildren see you, do they see someone 
who takes worship seriously. Paul says, they better. That's manhood. And if you're dating or you're dating now, men, lead her now. Show in your behavior who's first in her life, and it's not her. It's Jesus. Never ask her to compromise herself physically. Men, can I be clear? Take a woman and imagine her in a one-piece bathing suit, a modest one. Add two feet from the hips. Never touch a single part of that or look at it until you're married. Because if you do, you're not leading her to Jesus. You're letting her know that when God's word is at war with your desires and passions, you will discard God's word and leave her hanging to consume what you want. And just because you get married doesn't mean that's not the way you're going to remain. Lead now. Honey, we're going to church. Well, we can skip. No, we're going. I know you want to have a nice date. We'll have a date after. I'm meeting with God's people and my Lord. And by the way, a Jesus-loving woman will go, finally, a man. And any woman says, I don't need that. You don't need her. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. That was the short sermon. Here's the short application. How should we respond? Men and women. This is for everybody. Begin a practice of checking your own hearts before God as preparation for gathering with God's church for worship. That can start Sunday morning for some of you, Friday afternoon for some of you. It can start Saturday night. Because what you do Saturday night affects you on Sunday morning. In other words, learn to consecrate yourself regularly. I have a routine that I always go through on Sunday mornings. If I ever deviate, I know I'm getting off. I get up in the morning, I do not check the football talking scores. I want to. I want to talk about college football yesterday. I want to see the game. But that's not what I'm here to do. I look at what's the scripture say? Where's my heart? Where's the sin in me, God? I'm going to go stand in front of these people. I'm going to sing with them. I'm going to stand in front of them. I'm going to pray with them. What's inside that they can't see that you can see? And I, and I designed my whole morning that way. And I, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying that should be all of us as the norm. You're thinking through. Worship is coming. Am I ready? How many of you even thought about that? Think about that. I know some of you do. All of you should. All of you, male and female. To consecrate something... Or someone is to prepare it for worship and to set it aside as holy. In Joshua, God was about to take the people through the land. He was going to split the Jordan River. And he said, Joshua, this is Joshua 3, 5. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. I come into worship thinking, God, set their hearts on fire. God, open their minds. God, oh, how can you use me? Clean me. Because I want to see you do something. But there's a negative aspect. Did you know in a few chapters later, Joshua, God told Joshua to, 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 to call the people together again. They had gone into Jericho. They weren't supposed to steal anything. Some of them did. So then they tried to have a battle that God sent them on and they got killed. <laughs> and Joshua said, why? And Joshua had to go to the people and say this in 7.13. Get up! Consecrate the people and say, says God to him. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For, excuse me, says the Lord, God of Israel. For there are devoted things, sinful things in your midst. Oh Israel, I cannot stand. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away these things. Until sin was removed from the camp, God opposed his people. In your Christian life, you may be complaining against God when he's opposing you. Christian, because you won't clean out your life. And in the church, everyone wants revival. You could be the one holding revival out of your church because you won't give up the sin in the camp. When we gather, 
The goal is affection for one another. That's a holy heart, not an affection. You say, well, I don't feel affection. I got things I got to work out. Then work them out, doggone it. Then get in here and love folks. Work them out. How dare you be so insensitive and say that I have to do that? It ain't me. And it's not insensitive. It's friendly. A heart that's filled with love will worship God, will hear from God. Men, specifically, ask yourself how serious you are about your faith in Jesus. And then determine to have integrity and full commitment. I don't expect you to be a perfect man, because I ain't one. I try, but I'm not. But integrity means I'm giving it my all as much as I can. And when I blow it, I get up, dust off the seat of my pants, say, God, let's do this again. And our example, man, is Jesus. And, and he's an example to men and women, but he is a man. So in that way, he is uniquely, you share something with him. And Jesus said in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's how he went in to the cross. It was commitment on his mind. I have come to this hour. He's going to be so troubled by what he has to do that blood shoots out of his body. I don't know. I've been very anxious before. I've been very sad before. I've been very troubled anticipating bad things before. I've never had blood come out of my cells. And he sees that coming And he says, the hour's come. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. I'm duplicating myself. That means I gotta die. I'm I'm the only holy man on the earth, Jesus could have said. But I want others, which means I've gotta die. That's full commitment, right? It's like the, the chicken and the pig walk by the restaurant and it says, for breakfast... No more breakfast. We're out of eggs and bacon. Chicken says, well, we have eggs and bacon. Let's give it to them. Pig says, it's easy for you to say. For you, it's a contribution. For me, it's a commitment. Jesus wants a commitment. You say, well, that's for Jesus. Well, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Whoever loves his life loses it. If anyone serves me, he follows me. Men, that's your example. You commit fully to Jesus Christ. No holds bar. Finally, men, enjoy being males. Women, enjoy being females. It's awesome to be you. God made you that way. If you need to spend more time in the bathroom doing your hair, then he can just take a walk because I'm a woman and that's what I want, doggone it. Heck, you can't get him to at least look in the mirror and check whether something's hanging out of his nose. But I'm a woman. Be a woman. I like talking about these things. I like doing this. I like being this. And men, be men. It's good. Men are weird. I know it. I am one. Women are probably weird too. But it glorifies God when we are what he made us. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to de-emphasize. Shine like you are. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.